Today's program has been brought to you by Calavita. Think outside the bottle with Calavita, America's trusted family brand, makers of extra virgin olive oil and fine Italian food products. Calavita.com. Talk here. It is what month? It's April. It's April. It's tax. Is this tax week? Next week. Yeah. Oh, the next 18th, week. 18th, Sorry, I had to mention that. Hey, I'm a. Ten, I woke up and I'm a freelance 1099 guy, so it, it does suck because I always get a big pay quarterly. But then at the end of the year, it's like seriously, can, can, can we can we can we deduct more? <laughs> you couldn't be right about this, can you? What happened? But I know Donald Trump's going to take care of all that for all of us. It's to be, right. be a good thing. He's looking out for the little guy in the middle class. Thank you, sir. Um, so New York's Friday came up to New York this Tuesday, and it was like, how, how hot was it Tuesday? Like, what was the what was your sense of the temperature outside, guys? We're in the store; it's air conditioned. We don't know. <laughs> it was like I, was, Mike, I can tell you what it was. I was my son took a spring break, decided he wanted to hang out with me for a week. Like, just popped it on me Sunday. Um, I had to book a hotel for the last minute; It cost me a fortune because apparently New York was sold out this week. Huh? Which you know, you should put them in a hotel down by me that's cheap. And they're like, no, man, we have we only have like two rooms for those nights, and they're three hundred eighty. I'm like, what? A night. A night. Yeah, it's crazy. It's spring break. It's Easter weekend. It's the car show. It's like a million. And the uh, town is busy. Um, so we're driving up the Garden State Parkway, which hugs the coast of New Jersey. And I'm looking at that little temperature gauge that tells you the external temperature. And it's a nice car. It's a Lexus. It's accurate. And it's 88 degrees. And I'm no like, way. that's what I said. Like, how could it? Like, it hasn't been 88 degrees since last August. Like, how did this happen today? And then we got off at a rest stop before we went into the city. And, yeah, it was bloody hot. Um, great week, though. It's been fun. I, I went to um, Speedy Romeo's the other night. I love Speedy Romeo. You guys know the restaurant? You know? I haven't been yet. Okay, Speedy's no, great. I've met the folks from there. Great guys. They started in Brooklyn with a space. I mean, one of their claims to fame is the entire kitchen's wood-fired, no gas. So everything. So great pizzas, oh, no, obviously. I he was at the store uh, this weekend. He great, came to pick up some... Uh, great some pizza, away. great grill program, just super, super food. Mm-hmm. I wish the wine list was better. You should talk to them. Just saying. And, um, of course, you get red wine, you have to ask for an ice bucket, because it's like, really? I, I, we ate there Tuesday night, the red wine was like 82 degrees. I'm like, yeah, this really needs like... That's a big problem everywhere in restaurants. In everywhere. Unless, US, yeah. unless you've got... red's too warm. Yeah, unless you've got proper wine storage, mm-hmm. it's a huge problem. Uh, we, you know, guys know the people, Vicks, um, Hillary Sterling? Vix is a great little restaurant on Great Chance. You have your business. Oh, yeah. You run a business. They used to be uh, what it used to be. Used to be yeah. something something. It was the same couple that own hundred acres yeah. down in the village and a cook shop. Same husband and wife. Great great team. Um, love that place. And tonight I'm going to Peasant. I love you know Frankie DiCarlo at Peasant. It's one of my favorite restaurants. All right, whatever. That's what I do for a living. So who am I talking to? <laughs> who are my guests? I'm so happy. We're going to burn up an hour talking. If, oh yeah, I'm doing this again. We had three shows in a row back in February. It was Pascaline and Andy Bennett. It was Fred Dexheimer and then Victoria James and Lyle Railsback from Kermit. So three shows in a row. We just talked about wine for an hour. And the show's called Food Talk. So I'm like, I guess not. But Food Talk? Hey. Hey, what are you supposed to drink when you're eating, right? Seriously. <laughs> so I'm really happy to have back in the studio. David, you've been here before. Once, yep. Once yeah. before. And your son, Eben, who's never been here before. Thank you. Thank you. Who run Chambers Street. And if you've heard me say this a million times. Chambers Street is one of my favorite wine stores on planet Earth, apparently, Jancis Robinson said it's the best wine store. The in best the independent merchant in, in the world. In the world. Well, it was based on, on customers' write-ins. So she asked the maybe, world to write. Maybe our customers just were a little more uh, enthusiastic. I don't know. <laughs> but it's Jancis, man. Kind of anything Jancis says, I roll with. She's good. She's got a, a hegemonic effect in a, in, a, in a kind of a good way. Um, yeah, you guys opened up. We know the story. I'll just give it a brief recap, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Opened up just before 9-11. You'd spent right. your, your uh, jazz yeah. musician. That was your career, but you were working in stealth as a day job at Garnet for years. We got to know Louis Dresner. 14, 14 years, yeah. And that great palette and that great sort of style of what Dresner went after, um, whether he was pursuing it directly or just that's what he happened to like. It took knows? a while to evolve uh, anything like that. You know, the first trips we took, we were just looking for good wine. We didn't really have a, a firm idea of what made made it good, what made it better than other wine. But it was, I mean, Joe's very quick. And before long, we realized, okay, wild yeast, hand harvesting, organic farming. 
and we started, you know, looking for those things, uh, and that that progressed pretty pretty rapidly. And this was the nineties. This was uh, late eighties, early nineties. Early, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, but it's so <clears throat> funny. Now I've become so biased to natural wines because it just like once mm. you sort of get used to how they feel to their structure to their life for want of a better term to have, to the, the, how the, the malleability how they change mm. from corks out decant or first pour how that first glass moves how it evolves through the bottle yeah. you suddenly realize you're you, you're having a conversation with this bottle it's there's and something the special same there. wines year after year how it's a completely different completely experience. variable right like so if so you love the, the algarofo blah 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 and you bought it the next year and it's a different wine sorry it was a different vintage yeah. the conditions were different the spring summer and fall were different it's going to reflect yeah, exactly. that but it's crazy and and now when i drink the the 97 percent, you know if i'm at a restaurant that has a list that it leaves you with those choices it's just so bloody boring like they're pleasant it's not a terrible thing but it's kind of like really you know and then and then you're thinking well, yeah it's commercial yeast and it's sulfur dioxide and it's possibly shitty farming practices mm. and a lot of work done after the crush to kind of get this mummified glass of something in a bottle in front of you. That doesn't even work well with food, necessarily, <laughs> you know. So let's talk about your latest email blast was a great one. Because um, you don't... Your store, I said this before, your store, without exaggeration, you could walk in blindfolded, walk down an aisle, pick up a bottle here, a bottle there, get to the 12-bottle case... And not find a bad bottle of wine. Um, you just have it's it's not a huge store, but it's just incredibly well curated. Yeah, because it's your store. And like and like even like you had a. I was in there one day on my bicycle, kind of in a hurry, and one of the kids wasn't even one of your sales guy. He was like a shelf stalker dude. <laughs> like I was asking him about something, and he was just like like a, a wonk. He was just like, "What the heck? What's your name? What do you do here?" The kid just like knew everything about what I was looking for, and twice as much as I did. And I'm like. <laughs> All right, I'll take that bottle. Thanks. Good, good, good job. And he was like a stock guy. Yeah, yeah. So it's crazy. The stock guys usually work their way up, and they're they're into it. So totally. Yeah. I mean, it's great. So every so every bottle has a description. Everybody in the store knows every bottle. And and you do those weekly email blasts where you'll have these pictures. It's just like so personal of the vigneron, this bearded guy with a goat behind him in the middle <laughs> of a field, and, or some picture of Anjou in the snow in the back of the car. And I'm like, oh, man. Because, you, you know, you do these tours. So every, these wines have faces. They have stories. There's a vigneron. There's a husband and wife. There's a family. There's a, a dog and a cow and a little a couple hectares that yeah. are being farmed bio. That's something that's missed by the, the conventional wine world is it's you, it's you miss the people, and the people are just as important as the wine. I mean, you, you, you go there and you, you develop relationships, and you're not just drinking some product with a number on it. You know, you're drinking the life of these people and what they're into, and they're so committed to what they're doing. The natural, and, and I'm using that word loosely, stuff that we're buying, um, it's such a different world, and it's, it's, so, it's so happily non-commercial. I mean, the, yes, they need to make a living, but... They're not really thinking about that, most of these people. You can kind of tell that. Now it's, yeah. And I want to, like, <clears throat> I don't know how to say this nicely. You know, from time to time, I do wine tours, and I'll be on the left bank, and, you know, the Old Medoc, and you're in Bordeaux, and these joining over estates. Like tour bus and, style? And some or? kid comes up to meet you, and, you know, his family owns the land, and he's got, like, a $50,000 watch, and Gucci loafers, and no socks, and his Hermes <laughs> belt. And, and he's talking about farming, and I'm just looking at him, and I'm like, like, when the fuck was the last time? <laughs> Yeah, you, you had a hoe in the ground, or do I? I mean, come on! I mean, seriously. Last time we went to Bordeaux was to visit Didier Michaud. Is this guy who's got what two hectares? Two hectares. I mean, this is like four middle. acres, and he's got these muddy shoes on, and he slips into his his wooden clogs, which I still want to get a pair of. They're incredible, you know, and shows us the vineyards, and he's the one who's. Right. He's the guy working the vineyards year-round. Right, Driving vineyard. through Bordeaux is pretty depressing, yeah. Yeah, that was. There's the, my kind of highlight takeaway was the kind of far right bank. Like, those plate, like there were still small family farmers there. Mm -hmm. There were people that are, you know, turned around and trying to practice bio and organic and clean and, you know, cl planting cover crops and, like, doing nice yeah. work. But they were all small. They were kind of yeah. the exception. Like, the yeah. younger generation and the small ones because, I mean, the left bank is just what it is. Sure. Um, but so your last email <clears throat> had to do with zero SO2 wines and sulfur dioxides. This, you know, I'm, it's, 
if you're a wine geek and you're into natural wines, and like I, and it's like, and it, there is no rule on this because I meet like young psalms that honestly kind of don't give a shit. It's like if the wine's delicious, they don't care how it was made in a way, which sounds kind of funny because yeah. whatever. But you know, they're just not as driven by the ideals of bio and natural as maybe I am and, and you are and others. But let's talk about sulfur dioxide how it's used, why it's used, and the laws behind it. Because just to explain what's going on. So want to start at the harvest? Would that be the first time we're going to see the introduction? So at reception, sure. grapes are coming. Well, if you're not using them before. Let's, yeah. let's back up. Because okay. as as I point out in the article, Pierre Auvernois, who's sort of the yes. everyone's hero. I start out with him. I start world, out with him. Said the most important thing is organic farming. Right. You so need that, high acid. You need right. a high population of healthy yeasts living at the crush mm-hmm. on the grapes at the time. Um, and then this is a question I have for you, and I'll, we'll get this later, but I'm, why a lot of malic acid? You'll explain that to me. I couldn't mm. figure out why that was a requirement of the three. But getting back to the farming, because right. really, essentially, it all starts there. So um, if you don't have living soils, if you've just converted to organic, you're basically still in conventional farming. Your, your, your vines are not giving your grapes what, what they need to protect themselves to make that kind of a product. So Julien Guillot at Vigneault Domaine, they've been organic since the 50s. Mm. Uh, Stéphane Guillon has been organic since the 60s. I mean, it takes a long time to bring your soil back if you weren't lucky enough to have never gone down that road. But that's, that's the most important thing because there is there's such an amazing life going on right. in the soil. Right. And what it brings to the vine is it's hard to imagine. And when you read the science behind the stuff, it's mm. it's phenomenal and it's totally ignored in modern agriculture. You know, there's they, a microbial diversity in that soil that's alive. There's stuff in there that, that has this kind of symbiotic relationship with the vines yeah. that protect it. I remember a, a couple of years ago, I had the pleasure of touring Alsace and was sitting up on, <clears throat> on that tan, that little, that Rangen was the slope, that mm-hmm. like volcanic slope overlooking the, with, with Umbrecht and uh, the guys from Josmaier. Okay. And they were talking about that very thing, about mm-hmm. how... That reciprocity, really healthy soil supports really healthy vines. And if something does go wrong, they kind of adjust and correct it themselves. Right. Right? It's just like because yeah. the vine itself is healthy and so is the ground below it. Yeah. If the, if the plot, if their parcel isn't getting enough particular nutrients, then they actually, from so many years of experience, know which things to plant. Yeah. As opposed to which product to spray. Right. He talked about which, it. He talked. Know, about, I like the analogy. He talked about it. It's like kind of like being at a boat at sea, where the conditions change, and you kind of have to just figure out as you're going. If you know, if the wind blows this way or that way, that you're kind of making these adjustments rather than it being like a real static sort of farming. Mm. If you're doing bio, it is kind of this more wild. Like, let's see what happens this year, and we'll figure out. Right. What's, what's and growers going. will will adjust how much. Uh, greenery they leave from one year to the next depending on the moisture depending on nitrogen depending on what's going on in the soil but um but anyway so so to make wine without sulfur with zero sulfur it's hard and and i mean overall points that out it's a it's a difficult thing you have to be on top of of technique you have to have uh, cooling systems i mean you don't have to guys like ducru get away with it without Um, they have cold cellars so they've right But but it's you know, to have to use twenty, thirty milligrams, uh, which which I think is it's totally fine. And I'm not really having an issue with that. But um, to go all the way and to make wine with zero sulfur, it's it's a real commitment, yeah. and it's it's and finally, I think uh, enough people have mastered the art of doing that that it's not a fringe like it used to be. I mean, in Paris, fifteen years ago, the wine had to really really be in bad shape to be hip. You know, it was well, this <laughs> it had was... to be full of bread and had to have a mousy finish, and then it was good. I remember um, the first few times I went to Ten Bells, going back over ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. And hearing about people raving about this, and I and it was kind of it's always kind of dark in there. You're kind of going to that. You, once you pass the bar, it's like you can barely see. I can barely see uh, at night anyway. Um, and I remember like. You know the 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 bartender like excitingly pouring me this stuff, and I was like, "What is this shit?" <laughs> like this is like you said, it was just like Brett City. Yeah. Um, it was acetic acid. It was bread. It was mousy. It never blew off. It was just like I, there was no pleasure for me in drinking that wine. I'm like, this yeah. is like an ex- someone's experiment mm-hmm. that went wrong. This is just isn't this isn't wine making. I mean, yeah, it's grape juice, but this is not the finished product. Isn't right. And then you have you have a um, <laughs> who's the producer? I know in that list you had uh, Julien. Guillaume, how do you pronounce them? Yeah, yeah. I remember I had a mixed case from you one day, and you threw a couple of bottles of that in, and that's zero SO2. 
And I remember opening up the first one I opened up in my apartment, and I was going to decant it, and I poured the first glass, and it was so perfect. Yeah. It was so precise. And the whole way through the bottle, it was flawless. It had finesse and polish and clean fruit and definition. And I'm like, what? I mean, this is zero SO2, yeah. and that's what you came up with? No way. I mean, that's like 100. That was like, there was... Yeah. That wine was crazy. I think, I think it started probably when I remember people getting so maybe the same time frame you're talking about, like when or when in Paris everybody was going nuts over things that we now we consider kind of flawed. Like anything that was different, if people are going, oh wow, this tastes like nothing I've ever tasted before. That was that was the bonus. That was like the you know. So everybody was excited about if it was messed up, they didn't see it as a flaw. And then after I would say maybe like five years later, there was like a revision of the of that kind of mantra and now it's like okay well mousiness that never blows away like you say like flaws that never like maybe you decanted and an hour later these are gone yeah the, yeah, the Brett's reduction do that or, right 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 so okay but if it never goes away and you the finish is just nasty then okay this is a flaw i don't want to drink that wine so people revised and then it wasn't just that it was different but it had to also be Good and pure, like you say. I, I always think of like the purity balance is like what I want in a in a one. I'm really happy when it has no sulfur added, but I would prefer they add a tiny bit when they bottle. Well, that's what the a, guys, the guys in Alsace were saying that because they've been practicing. You know, their Alsace is a, you know it's kind of a, not sort of it's on the German border and it's changed hands a few times. Yeah, it yeah, yeah. Kind of feels like Germany in terms of varietals. It doesn't get much rain because the the mountain range, and so it's a kind of an easier place to do. It. And the influence of Steiner, I think, was early there. Mm. So you know, Umbrecht and Josman, those guys have been bio since the nineties. Pierre Frick was the first, nineteen seventy one. Yeah, yeah there's crazy. a bunch of there's a bunch of families, but there they but even then they said uh, I remember Umbrex specifically and I can pretty much quote him verbatim that you know zero sulfur is a, is an ideal, but for him to be a hundred percent sure that if he's shipping fifty, sixty, eighty, hundred thousand cases overseas and you cannot control the temperature, you cannot control the ambient environment of where it's going, that he sulfurs a little at bottling just so that he locks that in. And I've heard some really good California producers say, Tony, Tony Katori's been. Nothing for years, right? He's like that. He's like the the guy. Like I can't, I can't imagine what it was like for him in Sonoma in the seventies. When he 80s. was the only like, yeah. What? When he was like the only one, the only Sonoma. one. Like who would you talk to? Like what's your support system? There's no, there's no one nearby to pick up a dialing phone and say, hey, I've got this problem in my vineyard. What have you done? Right. I don't know, man. I spray. <laughs> right. So, but he's a purist. But I've also heard people talk about using a little bit of sulfur at the end in red wines to preserve the fruit, and I kind of get it because you sort of have you have. Have it where you want it. It's kind of like as perfect as it's going to get. So let's go 10 milligrams and just call it a day. And that wine we know will be stable for, for, for the rest of its life held well. Yeah. So you can kind of argue both ways. Yeah, I, it's fine. I don't think there's any – I don't see any problem with doing that. It's just when you, when you drink a wine that's really zero, I mean it's – it really – it's digest as the French say, which is a word that doesn't translate. But it's – it feels good. It doesn't – you don't – you can – Drink the whole bottle. You can you can taste those wines all day. You don't get a headache. I used to, used to go to tastings like the old Salon Van de Loire, and at the end of the day, you'd have a throbbing headache just from the sulfur. I mean, it was awful. So, I, I to, zero sulfur wines are really are a goal worth uh, achieving. I mean, it's not it's not economically possible for most people, and most most producers that are that are larger just can't do it you can't do it on a big scale i don't think and the law is funny so the u.s allows 350 milligrams per liter which oh. is a shit ton uh the eu is down to a, less than half 160 in reds a little more in whites 210 for but conventional right for for yeah normal for normal yeah um but we're talking about either zero for the wines that were all in your mailing list, or I think for the natural wines, I'm trying to think what her, for the one that she did, the raw thing, was under... Oh, Isabel. 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 Ron, what yeah. was her rule for... Do you remember the sulfur tolerance? Every, everyone has their own, but it could be 30. I think hers 40, was 40. I think yeah. hers was 40, yeah. Yeah, 40 and then a little higher for whites. Right, and certain mm -hmm. whites that are, if you have residual sugar, it's... But let's talk about... So sulfur dioxide is it's poisonous. It's toxic. It will kill you. If you're exposed to it in large doses, you're dead. A. As a gas, yeah. As a gas. Yeah. Um, so... If it's if, if we're not talking about the kind of stuff we're drinking, we're talking about like a conventional factory farm that makes wine. Mm. They're going to bring the grapes in from the field. Well, they start by they're spraying it throughout the year in the vineyard. Well, that's okay. that's a different idea. I mean, that doesn't. But that's yeah. in theory that doesn't stay with the 
with the grapes by the, by them. This is for wait, so it's sulfur dioxide controlling, in, in, uh, the, it's in the vineyard. That's for mildew. Yeah. Controlling mildew. Yeah. Or no, but on reception, they're using it to kill anything. On that's reception, there. they're nuking the the must to to sterilize. So it. any yeast yeah. that are wild, they're gone, dead. Right. Then they're going to go with a commercial yeast. Which well, they you, also have to clean it up because they've machine harvested, and it's full of dirt and God knows what. And underripe so. grapes, overripe yeah. grapes, little Rot, critters, grapes. all types yeah, of. So. You don't want to know what's in there. <laughs> it's getting depressing. Hand all right. so now, we have, so now we have these pots of underripe grapes, overripe grapes, some stems, well, no just, stems, rotten stuff, a dead fly here and there, a couple of mosquitoes. More, more Blow with it with SO2, so now we kind of take it there. Then we're going to come in with this commercial yeast, which now we all know, like later on in life, like post World War II, really in the 60s and 70s, I mean, you can go. You can look into a, a book that these manufacturers have, and you can get you can steer the wine any way you want with that yeast. If you want something in your block that's super grassy, super tropical, but we have that. If you want, oh, the ads for the yeast are hilarious. The if you've ever seen a like a magazine for conventional wine, they, you know, they say, oh, this, you know, cassis leather. Whatever, they, everything you want, they just list the flavors. Correct. You can basically craft. You can create, kind. which is kind of what I mean. Who was that? Did you guys must have flipped out? There was a. Um, I can't believe the Times printed it. Remember that a couple of weeks ago? I ignored that. Yeah. I oh, that. I couldn't because it came <laughs> on my Facebook know. feed every five minutes. And I'll just. What, was, what was her first name? Her first name was. Um, um, who makes unique? Uh, who makes the, the vermouth in Bianca? Oh, Bianca. But this wasn't Bianca. The woman oh, wrote the woman this. Who wrote the book? Uh, Cork, 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 Cork. Right. And then she wrote something. Oh, that's her book. I think it's. Did she write something about how she wrote this piece in the Times that everybody went crazy about? It was about how cheap wines are not that bad and how technology means now that cheaper wines are a lot better than they used to be. And then it was sort of this embrace of, well, look at all the things we can do post crush to. And it's kind of like like to everybody that I know that loves wine and holds it near and dear is like, are you serious? Like that's kind of that's what we're trying to get away from. It was like in defense of fourteen. So recommending uh, yeasted, uh, yeah, yeasted, polished. manipulated, polished, fine, filtered. You, you need oak we'll enzyme chips, enzyme, whatever you want. That well, there is another that, world out there of people that don't really care and don't want to spend more than six dollars. So you know, it's it's well, my, yeah. You, that, my only defense because really. I had these arguments. <laughs> my only defense is yeah, it's sort of made the world of bad wine better for people who want to drink it because it's really you can do so much now post crush to, right. to make it drinkable rather than turning it into vinegar that yeah it makes that much more of that kind of wine available for those kind of drinkers but it also makes the European growers and I'm saying European because they're the only people that can make a natural wine and sell it for four euros or five euros at the estate I mean you think these and it just it makes you respect these people for, so much for they're not. They're obviously not in it for the money if yeah. they're charging four or five euros. Yeah. And the work they're putting into it is is phenomenal. And it, you, it's impossible in the U.S. because land prices are too high, and you know the whole escalation of of making wine in the U.S. But family wineries in Europe can get away with it. You know, it's been passed down to them through through generations. And the guy we buy from in Borgo, you know, I keep asking him to raise his, please raise your price. You yeah. know, it's embarrassing. I told your son, the last time I got please? a case of wine from you, it was mostly, I think it was all Loire, and a lot of it was Muscadet. Yeah, yeah. And I remember saying to you, like, if they doubled the price, I would pay it. It's just not, I mean, you had some wonderful, the one, H O E. That's Joe Landrol, yeah. It's, yeah. It was like 13 and it was yeah. delicious. Yeah, I'm like, this is, great. it's not fair. And like, that's in the, the three-tier cork, system, too. That's the cork costs money, the bottle costs money, the labor costs money, it's got to get shipped, there's profits along the way. I mean, honestly, those wines, yeah. that's insane. Like, that is like a $25 bottle of wine that yeah, I just I still got for $12. Do that. I feel like get I'm it stealing. in the bottle to, you know, get it over here, and we're still paying, what? But that's Muscadet. I mean, that's we're lucky for that. That the region isn't really a region full of expensive wines, you know. And Pepiers. I mean, thanks for introducing me to Pepiers, who I didn't really know before shopping at your store. I mean, that's like game changing. I mean, we so think yeah. of Muscadet in that category of like peak pool plus one of you know not very polymorphic wines, wines that aren't very expressive, wines that aren't very floral, wines that don't have a lot of texture, wines that are just fun. You know, keep drinking really cold and oysters and drink a lot of it, and who cares? And then suddenly you open up like like any of Pepiers. Uh, and it's just like, what the hell? Yeah. And, you know, a year on lees and really good farming and really careful. And some of these wines with like weight and body and texture and skeletal structure. And no, I'm like, this is complexity. This is. Yeah, for 14 bucks. <laughs> and I still, the, the most recent Clisson is still shut down. That was 15, or was it? I'm sorry, which? The Clisson. That's Pepier's Yeah, we're Clisson. at 14 right now. The 14 is yeah. the new release. Yeah, it's still a little bit. Oh, yeah, it's just nothing but minerals and acid right now. Right. So what do you think? We have to it's wait a year? 
Uh, we should wait ten years, but no, it's it's, it's great. <laughs> it's great the way. It I don't is. wait ten years yeah. for anything. <laughs> it's it's great the way it is. I mean, have it with oysters. It's it's perfect. So talk about your trip. Let's shut up. Forget my notes. You guys just well, that, came back. This, this is a segue into our trip because okay. we're talking about time on spent on the lease, with, which they're doing in Miskaday. They're doing longer surly aging, which is great. And they can't um, say, and the AOC is crazy because yeah, it's, then it's, if it's, it's over six yeah. months, then they can't say studio anymore. Uh, something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Finally, they have a new. Uh, crew communal system in Muscadet so that there are legal setups for doing uh, a year and a half, two years, even more on the lease and selling it as, at a higher level. So that's great. It's good for the growers. They'll get a little more money for the wine. So, yeah, we went on this trip, crazy trip. Uh, should it's, we wrap it's, up the sulfur thing? No, we should wrap up the yeah. sulfur thing. We should wrap we'll, it up. We'll All right. We'll, I started. We segued. So, dose so it, the point is that sulfur is introduced the grapes, there. It does, it does, does. It's in, it's do, you, you shut the fermentation down with it once you decide the fermentation's finished, and then it's introduced in bottling. So it sees well, it's, its, it's usually multiple times. It's usually used uh, after the mallow, and then it's right. used as a correction as the wine ages because the, the people want to keep certain amount of free sulfur in the wine as it ages. So in Burgundy, they're always adjusting the sulfur. Yeah, they I mean, actually add want to, they'll add just because the level throughout. isn't... With. Yeah. It seems like also, like, any time there's going to be uh, oxygen in the mix, like if you're moving it from <clears throat> the fermentation vessel, maybe you ferment, the fermentation's in a big vat, and then you're going to move it into cement to develop for a year or whatever, or into right. barrels. So you're pumping. Anytime you're moving, moving, anytime you're pumping it, they're yeah. doing sulfur. Uh, and that could be... It could be a few times. And then at bottling, they're doing sulfur. So in conventional, there's, it could be five or six times just from when the grapes come in right, from to when it's actually sent out that yeah, they're yeah. adding sulfur. Right. A um, lot of no-sulfur wines or low-sulfur wines are very reductive because they haven't done that. Describe yeah. reductive for the two people that might not know. Well, it's it's the, the <laughs> wine hasn't <laughs> the wine hasn't been exposed to oxygen, it. so... And and basically, they, they try to not expose it during the bottling. So you open the bottle, and the, the wine is going, <gasps> the wine is just like sucking in oxygen. Uh, and that, that chemical combination causes that aroma that we call reduction, uh, or, you know, it's a, it's a musty, uh, not particularly pleasant aroma. It goes away. It goes away in 30 minutes, an hour. As opposed to another style, that oxidative style of winemaking that is sort of encouraged, where you mm. see it throughout the Jura, yeah. you see it in some with Chenin Blanc and Sauvignon, and throughout the Loire, where they actually <laughs> go that way, where they want an oxidative style of yeah, winemaking, yeah. which gives you sort of nutty, sherryish these notes. I remember the, the very, it was an embarrassing story to tell, but the very first time I had a Jura was at Bernadette, and this was when Aldo was still on the floor. It was a cheese course, we had blue cheese, Aldo comes by and he pours his wine, and the color in the glass is kind of odd. I pick it up and I'm... This is Jerry, and I sniff it. I look at him, and I look at the bottle, and I said, "It's gone. It's not good." Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you've never, yeah, I know, but I've never had it before. Ever, yeah, because you've never had this before. Because you're drinking a glass of wine that reminds you of. I mean, it's like Madeiraized. Used to be a mm. something that happened to white wines that were exposed to leet and height. But and I just that's what I thought we were drinking. He says, "No, no, that's the style of this wine." I said, "Seriously, this is what they're going after." Yeah, and now I, would I drink, have done it with a Conte instead of a. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. Well, and it yeah. matters. And now I drink. Jura like crazy. So go back to your trip. Let's talk about yeah. your trip. Pick yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Actually, let's do this. Um, Hold on for one second. Yeah. We have to take a break anyway. Yeah. Big David, let's take a break. Thank you, sir. Thank you. David's working the, the mics for us. Anyway, I think we have a pizza out here, too. You guys hungry? Can you eat oh, two bites yeah. of pizza in a minute? Hell yeah. You, you came to Roberta's. You've got to do pizza. It's how, the only reason we do the show is for the pizza. Uh, we have a spot <laughs> here from the people that make the show possible. We'll be back in two minutes. And if we're chewing, be patient. We'll be done soon. All right. folks, Mike Kalameko here. Everybody knows that great cooking really starts with great ingredients, and these days we have so many options to choose from. Well, I go back to the Colavita family brand for years, and there really is a Colavita family behind this brand. I got their story long after I started using their products. Back in the mid-80s when I was the chef at the Ritz-Carlton here in New York City, one of the things you can do as a chef is order your own food. You do the purchasing, and we switched olive oils to Colavita. Uh, when I had my own restaurant down in Cape May, New Jersey, the Globe, for years, that's all we ever poured at the table. That's all I ever cooked with. And then when I started my PBS show in 1999, I thought, you know, if I'm going to look after underwriting and funders, why don't I go after products that I actually use at home? 
that I actually cook for my family with and in my restaurant with. I've been working with them for 15 years with the PBS series and now with Heritage Radio. The Colavita family goes back generations in Italy. They make their olive oil from great sourced olives, traceable sourced olives, just south of Rome in Molise province, Abruzzi, which is where my family hails from. Since then, their family's moved here, so there's Colavitas living in Rome, Colavitas living in America. It's a great, trusted family brand. It's the olive oil I use, and I'd recommend you try it as well. Hey, like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. Hey, folks, welcome back. You guys are still chewing, so I'm going to wait a minute. I just ate really fast. I just inhaled a slice of pizza. I think we all just inhaled a slice of pizza. So let's pick it up. My, my guests are Evan and David Lilly, David's dad, Evan's his son. They run the greatest wine store on planet Earth. According to Jancis Robinson. In the thank, universe. Thank In the universe. Um, it's great. It really is great. I buy a lot of wine from it. It's, it's a great store. It's, it's so well curated. And you, you have the, the email things, and I love it. So talk about the trip. Because you guys, two weeks, two and a half weeks you were gone? Two and a half weeks. February? It's uh, every year. It's sort of, it's timed to get us to the main organic and uh, wacky Wacky natural wine shows that occur in the south of France, but mostly in Angers, uh, in second first or second week of February, depending on the year. Yeah, you were there. Pascaline was there. Alice Firing's there. All that was just my whole fate. Well, the whole feed was that. It's a sensational uh, period. In, in in Angers, over four days, you can go to six or seven different natural organic, biodynamic, uh, old time organic, all different sort of levels of uh, trade shows. Uh, they're not really. I mean, they're they're much more informal than the normal trade show. Yeah, there's um, there's but, one in the south that's kind of uh, similar to a Jacob Javits Center sort of feel. You know, it's a big expo center, um, and the upside is the opportunity to taste with you know 800 different growers. Of course, we've looked at the list and we've narrowed it down to about 20. But um, most of them are in these beautiful spaces. Like south is in Provence, or the south in Languedoc Roussillon. There, there were two shows this well there were four or four or five different shows they were in Montpellier and in Marseille okay. usually they're all around Montpellier there was a fight with Vinny Sud which forced them out of Montpellier so they had to so anyway that yes, got that's very French politics yeah, French yeah. politics <laughs> uh, so anyway we usually start in the south uh, and work our way north this year we started in Champagne because we wanted to visit Beaufort and that was uh, was we so we made that the logical first stop of the trip. We beat the we we beat the snowstorm by up by advancing the snowstorm our flight. In New York, yeah. yeah. So we got out a little early, which is great. Um, but yeah, the trip is typically it's typically formed around these two different weekends. There's one weekend in the south uh, where they have a number of of wine shows where you can taste the new vintages with people. A lot of most of it is winemakers we already know and love. And their wines are pretty much the timing is always late January, early February because wines are basically finished. Mm. They can show the new mm. vintage. Mm. They can give you an idea of what's to come, and um, it's. And then for the rest of the year, we're we're looking back at our notes and saying, oh, that you know that cuvee, that particular red from whoever whoever was great this year. We should buy. You know, we should or maybe order. we're looking back two years because like yeah, the sometimes Tessier we're looking back. Look, arrived, Philippe finally, Tessier yeah. that we just did an email on, we tasted those two years ago, and now they're finally bottled. But you know, we we knew exactly what we wanted to get from Zev, who's the the, the distributor here. Um, so yeah, anyway, in the south, there's that weekend, and it's always the following weekend in the Loire Valley that they have another string of shows. So we'll try to come, we'll try to get to France before the shows in the in the south. Visit some of our friends in the south. Visit winemakers we know. And then do this like weekends, you know, three days in a row or four of tasting, you know, really a lot of wines a day and trying to write notes. You have to spit. Otherwise, you're in big trouble. Yeah, even with spitting, it's trouble. Even with spitting, honestly. it's big trouble. Yeah, um, I find myself, you're on an empty stomach and it's a little before lunch. You're going, oh, yeah. shit. I need to eat something really you need, fast. You need a and get bottle some... of Badois in your in your shoulder bag because that's the it's the antidote to too much wine. It's this is water, water, water. Badois. Badois is like Badois particular mineral water it's, that it's more basic. apparently you can get in New York. I haven't. You used somebody. to be able to. You used to see it yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah, somebody. So anyway. tell me about the champagne so, thing. This is so, interesting. Right, I, I, so, it's one of the last places I think of bio and organic and clean. Right. I, my 
intro into the wine world in 86 was selling vast quantities of champagne at Garnet. And um, it I just thought seemed you were like, the Portuguese wine it guy. Seemed like, well, that, yeah. <laughs> it seemed like bad wine with bubbles. I mean, and, and most of the, of the brand names still are, unfortunately. Um, I just didn't get it. And, of course, I couldn't afford to buy it anyway. But so um, when, when it started happening 15 years ago, smaller producers, in fact, Garnet was the first one to bring in uh, Jacques Celos, uh, which no one knows. Oh, and, wow. um, I didn't know that. Small producers started to be imported into the U.S. who were working better in the vines, who were making wines that were less manipulated, that were more wines of terroir. Which, so it's, it's a relatively recent development. And but, much less quantities. Small, yeah, tiny more, quantities. All of them, yeah. Because you These think of all those big houses. Companies. I mean, when you when you tour those big houses and you realize they're selling, you know, ten million, fifteen it's, it's million, fact, yeah, twenty factories. million bottles yeah. a year. That's just crazy. Yeah. So you go in and you just see warehouses full of stainless steel tanks that will be part of the assemblage, and it's it's mind boggling. I mean, in some ways, it's great that they can be so consistent year in and year out, but it just you realize the 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 size of this. They're just behemoths. So, so small growers. So yeah, and and many years ago, I was reading about okay, who's organic in Champagne, and there weren't there aren't many. And Beaufort was always mentioned. In fact, they'd been organic since the late sixties, early seventies. And uh, <clears throat> at Milazembio one year, um, you know, I went to taste with them, and there was the Jacques Beaufort was there, who was the father. Oh, that was hilarious! And, they're, they're... You know, a very <laughs> roughly dressed farmer with giant hands, and I think. Wow, and we arrived is, right after wait, a group of this, very loud Australian. Yeah. Women who, so he was he was in a pretty grumpy mood, right. and then we stepped but, up like you know very different than the uh, the, the Moet and Chandon rep. Yeah, LVMP right New York. I mean, yeah. So <laughs> they um, attack you. I was, they come out and get you. Yeah, I was. I knew I was going to like the wine, and, and indeed the wines were were beautiful. I mean, they're they're very much they're very vinous. They are wine. They're really great wine. They don't even need the bubbles. Um, mm. it, the farming is great. There is uh, no sulfur added in many vintages, not all, but in many vintages there is zero sulfur. The, both fermentations, both the alcoholic, the, the, the first and the second in bottle, are done with wild yeasts. So, and they do that by preserving wine and adding that you know, when they do the, uh, the secondary. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty extraordinary, the amount of trouble they put in. And they also basically bottle on demand. So if you're ordering in 1996, they disgorge it for your order. So it's been Sir Lee for 20-some years. So that's... Whoa! Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Whoa! So, but so wow, been, so one of my first early loves was Bullinger RD for that reason. When, yeah, when I sort yeah. of didn't know much, I just was attracted to that yeah. because of the amount of time on Lee's. I was yeah. like, wow, this is right. totally different. This is like champagne How that's got stuff. Yeah. Right, like that's with my... So, tw- wow, that's crazy. Yeah. No, it's, it is crazy. I mean, they... Is this the wine dinner I've seen coming up? You're going to be pouring his wines? Yes, that's uh, at Racine on uh, May 2nd, I think. We're going to do a dinner with vintages from 2003 back to 1979. So you can so. find out at your website how to buy tickets for that dinner. Mm, that sounds that's going to be on the Racine website this okay. weekend. Yeah. And because Racine's tiny, tiny, tiny. So if yeah. you're into Champagne, it's taking place in New York. Yeah, we're just going to do 10 seats. It's got to be a small group because so, we only have one bottle of most of these things. Oh, yeah. But anyway, that's... Um, the point being that this is extraordinarily different than other champagnes, but we had never been to visit them. Some people in the store had had, but I'd never been actually. So uh, we spent a day with them, and you know, he disgorged some a couple of bottles for us in his. They do yeah, it by hilarious. hand. Uh, they disgorge and then they volé. suck the, you know, to make sure the bottle's good. They have they basically suck the top like every single bottle they bottle. Someone's got to taste test it. Uh, I just thought that might be a nice job. I, <laughs> but yeah, and I miss it. LVMH owns like all the other huge brands. I was laughing about it. It's like so. Yeah, champagne's so funny. And I was sitting next to somebody the other night. And I'm not going to say who it was, but I want to ask you because I don't drink Cristal. It's just I don't drink it. Um, not it's out of my price level. I'm going to do it for champagne. I'm going to go somewhere else. But he was raving about Cristal. How great mm. Cristal is. What do you think about Cristal as a, as a cuvee? I don't really think about it at all. <laughs> all right, but I think most most of the big houses. Are capable of putting out well, very good, the very good tet cuvee. Yeah, 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 they are. So, they I mean, one hundred and fifty, two hundred dollars a bottle with limited production. Yeah. It's remarkably consistent. Uh, some of them do just a single year's vintage. That's the exception. Most of them blend the best of the best years mm-hmm. from the premier crew parcels. Right, and it might be the parcels that they started with. Whenever these companies yeah. were just family estates, you know, it's not the bought fruit, but 
So we're from Champagne. So yeah, this was a crazy trip because we had to cover. We had to go all the way south yeah. and then all the way back north we, again. We drove so, like yeah, uh, almost three thousand miles. Oof. Yeah. yeah, more. It was like thirty-five something. Like that's a lot. I do yeah. road trips when we film, and that's a lot in it two weeks. A lot. So it was from, Champagne, then we were in Burgundy. In Burgundy, we tasted with Jane and Sylvain. So here's here's a totally unknown four hectare organic Burgundy estate that makes terrific wine. Exactly the kind of people that we like to work with. Yeah, it's Completely literally unknown. Jane and Sylvain. That's the um, name of the estate. They don't go anywhere. They don't go to any people. trade shows. They don't. You know, they just stay home, work in the vines. We're in Burgundy. Where they're in Gevry. They're mm. right in the in the town. Um, they have this fabulous little hidden cellar you have to, you know, they crawl into. They have like three into, different basically. ones. They don't even have one <laughs> cellar. They have one. They have to lift up this metal plate and then you, you know, watch your head and you step down and it's like, I don't well, that's, even know. That's but, fairly common in Burgundy. But this, this, yeah. it's and a not a whole state. lot of barrels you're looking at either. Oh, no. There's the, their room of barrels. Maybe there's 15 or right. something. Right, right. But they have a parcel of uh, Gevry Fontenis, which is right next to Ruchot and not... Fontenis kind of falls away. I mean, they're, they're actually right at the level of Ruchot next to Ruchot, just separated by a dirt road, and it's it's fabulous wine. So, I mean, things like that happen. Uh, you, you find people like this that, oh, by the way, we have this parcel. Uh, it's Ruchot, and we sell it for 15 euros or whatever it is. So it's um, – I, 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 don't quote me on that. But at any rate, so that was our next visit. So we're in Burgundy. And we visited uh, Lafouge, who, who is a great uh, old old small estate in, uh, based in Auxerre d'Arest that makes fabulous wines. Well, uh, how long have you known Jean-Marie for... Yeah, it's through an agent named Jean-Marie Deschamps, who's Jean-Marie the hardest-working uh, woman in Burgundy. Who's she's great. definitely the hardest-working sole person in Burgundy. Yeah. I've learned more about Burgundy just driving in the car with her. Listen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we'll be right. passing, yeah. you know, she's right. like, oh, that's the Premier Crew, whatever vineyard, and oh, there's Bone, you know, and I'm looking and I'm seeing the slopes, and... You know. So from there, we had to hop over to the Jura because we've been working for a number of years with a guy named Jean-Charles Mare, who unfortunately passed away suddenly of a heart attack a year and a half ago. And so we wanted to, to meet with his daughters, who retained the property, and taste with the, the new winemaker who used to work with him. Um, so it was, you know, emotionally uh, difficult visit because he was a great guy, and we'd, we'd, we'd met him twice, and you get very immediately very friendly with a guy like that who was so proud of his farming and yeah he was great yeah really fantastic guy and both he, reds and whites yeah um, four hectare in salin les bains which is the north of the Jura and most of his terroir is on Kimmeridgian limestone which is very unusual in the Jura uh, only a small parcel of what he has is on the normal more normal Marne type soil uh, yeah the wines are brilliant and uh, you know there's so little wine Available in the Jura. It's like one and a half percent, two percent of the total production of France. Yeah, it's tiny. tiny. Yeah, yeah. It's, if the, I, and it's so funny how it's yeah. become popular. So I was having this discussion mm-hmm. with some retailer the other day about how the Riesling still has this sort of stigma of it being people, even the young public, thinking that it's a sweeter wine or mm-hmm. that it's a sweeter style. And I mean, with all that Paul Greco did and all the all the stuff that's been out there, you'd think by now people would get it. You know, not just Riesling from yeah. the various German producing regions, but from Austria and from Alsace. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, were, but they were saying, like, you know, Jura outsells Riesling like crazy. I'm saying so funny. Oh, yeah. But, right? You, too, oh, yeah. you, you find this, too. And you guys well, it are, depends on where, where you're walking into. But that's, just, that's, just, that's really funny. I it's hard for Jura to outsell anything because there's nothing, there's nothing there. there. <laughs> and I've fallen in love with the wines. Yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, and you have a great selection of them. I mean, they can be super clean. You, you can have Chardonnay and Sauvignon. They're just pure. And, or you can go oxidative and it's, like, yeah. funky and a whole different food pairing. And then the, the, the weight of Trousseau and Plus, I love those reds. I think they're, they're still cool. new for a lot of people. Oh. Yeah, people are just getting into wine. They haven't tried. People that have already, it's, yeah, it's still a new thing. Sure. I thought yeah. it would be like a fad, but it's, I'm, I'm happy it's and not. And the grape uh, Sauvignon, whether yeah, it's Ouillet it. or whether it's uh, Souval, it's just fantastic. And it's such a great. mineral expression. It's almost like Milan de Bourgogne. Sauvignon, not Sauvignon Blanc. Right, right. That other spelling. N-I-N. This is different grape altogether. White grape varietal from the Jura. So then we had to get back immediately to Burgundy to go to Vigne du Maine, which is a very important estate for us. So this is, we were talking about people who have been organic for a long time. So Vigne du Maine was purchased in the 1950s by uh, Julien Guillot's grandfather, who uh, refused to use chemicals and did not even use chemicals, did not use sulfur in making the wine at all. He didn't add sulfur to the wine. Um, they now There's add a, a little bit yeah. to the white wines, but they, they do not add sulfur to the reds at all. And Julien says, you know, I don't need to uh, with, with that 
that long of a period of great farming, and the and they have great terroir. They have great limestone uh, clay terroir. Well, people think. I mean, there's this conception that there is no bio work being done in in Burgundy. That it's because it's so right. difficult. We know it's we know it's a tough place to grow grapes. We know that <laughs> from vintage to vintage, they, yeah. you, the, it can drop fifty. But then you think like DRC's been doing this for years. Yeah, I think, and, uh, I think it's been increasing. If you look at the percentage of actual vineyards in organic, I mean, just to take organic for an example, not even bio biodynamic. But ten years ago, compared to now, it's it is a huge increase in the percentage, the acreage, mm. if you will, in Burgundy. A lot of other regions, it's well, they can certainly afford it because uh, I mean they, they should. <laughs> I mean no, but in these small estates, it's 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 the winemaker that's out there all year doing the the handwork in the vineyard. I mean, organic farming is more definitely more ma- manual labor in the vines, and uh, if you're DRC, you just pay an army of guys to go do it. It's fine, uh, but <laughs> it's not so right. easy for the small people to do that. Um, yeah, so, with land costs yeah. at an acre costing five hundred thousand yeah. dollars yeah. now, it's it's like I mean it's like champagne. The yeah. prices of land in Burgundy and Champagne are almost the equivalent. Yeah. You want to buy a hectare, it's a million dollars if it's a decent parcel. But yeah, it's great. The, uh, this guy Julian, <clears throat> the the winemaker. I mean, his father's always there too, just kind of hanging out. When we got there, his father was inspecting these strange, like nautical navigational tools that some people had brought in a box. <laughs> antique they were, like, tools, a whole, antique, a whole or so I mean, different antique like, tools. No one knew, knew what they ago. were <laughs> or what they were even for. Um, for but Julian used to be or something. Julian used to be a uh, a uh, acrobat actor, and so he's just this nimble. He's full of energy and. We had this long. We tasted everything from from everything, every vat, every barrel, and we're talking about politics and New York and France and America, <laughs> and, you know, just and jazz music and just you name it. I shame I missed all that. Yeah, he's. It's really a. It's really a, a, a great family. So then we dump. We jump to the Northern Rhone to visit uh, some organic people we work with. No, no, you missed Ducru. You I missed missed Ducru. Christian. No, Ducru. no, I didn't. Ducru was after. No, no, no. So I look at. I have. He's got his phone oh, right. in my You're photos right. Right. So, and yeah. of the, all the so dogs. So Christian Ducru. All their wine dogs. <laughs> Christian yeah. Ducru is, is, to me, a guy that does perhaps the best farming uh, of any vineyard I've ever seen. Um, he's so totally involved in the life of his soil, what's going on in the soil. And he's, he's always so, in the vines. And he's completely involved with, you know, controlling the amount of moisture. And, you know, he doesn't want... Uh, that much sugar in his grapes. He wants he wants the wine to be at ten degrees. That's his goal is to make the wine at nine or ten degrees. Yeah, and he's in Northern Rome. He, no, I mean, he's Beaujolais. Oh, sorry, Beaujolais. Sorry, sorry. I mean he's. I mean he doesn't really. Uh, I don't think he particularly read uh, Jules Chauvet, but he's making wine in the same style as, as Jules Chauvet, and the, the farming is amazing. I mean he's ripped out every fifth row and planted trees. He's got hedges everywhere. Um, if you if you're there in in growing season, the, the plants around the vines are higher than the vines. Oh, that's good because then the, the vines don't get too much sun and the the grapes don't get too ripe. They get mature. Yeah. You can have mature grapes yeah. that have all the flavor you might possibly want, but have it at ten degrees. Right, so it's you don't less need powerful. to be at fourteen degrees. Right. right. Um, Chauvet, in one famous line, said, "You know, a Beaujolais at fourteen degrees is a sin." And uh, that's where many of them are these days. I mean, in 2015, it's not the grower's fault, but uh, still. In 2015, Ducru was at 12.5 degrees, even in a vintage that was that hot and that sunny all year. But this is so, a region that's really turned itself around since the 80s, too. Yeah, it's still hard, though. It's, uh, it's very hard because prices are so low. Uh, a lot of growers uh, have dropped out or sold. Um, people in Burgundy are, are buying... Land in, in Beaujolais, which I'm not sure is a great idea. Yeah, they're coming down because the Macon. <laughs> there goes the neighborhood. The Macon, uh, the, the southern tip of Burgundy, sits yeah. right next to the northern end of Beaujolais. They're so neighbors. far, most of the wines made by Burgundy producers in the Beaujolais I haven't been too crazy about. They're just too and polished. Then guys like Jean Paul Brun are actually doing instead of Carbonic, they're actually doing a Burgundian crush. There's there's not much of that. Uh, He's an outlier. Yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. There aren't many. What's that one that you sell? It has a crazy name because they, the guy doesn't want to be part of the AOC. It's called Exception. No, that's your crew. That's, that's, that's oh, I love, yeah, yeah, I love his wine. I love his wines. Yeah, yeah, you don't have a lot of it. You have like seven. We have the 2015 Expectasia. We'll get the 16 in a month or two. Delicious wine. The Delicious. 16s are beautiful. I mean, they're really light, but they're just perfumed and gorgeous. And this is a no sulfur wine that. Mm. Okay, it's going to be, it's going to change. It's going to be different. Maybe every time you open it, uh, but it does age. 
um, you do, you cannot keep the bottle open for a number of days. It, you know, you just can't do that because <laughs> it's, it's alive. There's yeah. too many bacteria in there that will start working and having a party in your wine. But so yeah, for, so from Ducru, then then we went to Northern Room, yeah, and visited uh, Dimendes M4. Yeah, this is an estate that we've been working with for a while, but never actually met them. And what a visit! The guy was—I yeah. mean, he was just jumping around, like running all over, showing us all how healthy his vines were. Because this is. Um, they've been organic for a long time, but started yeah. doing biodynamic uh, work in the vineyards maybe, I don't know, somewhere between five and ten years ago. And he was just, like, so excited. He was like a little kid. Uh, like, immediate results that he'd seen after just a few years or even just two years of doing it that he had just been blown away with with how his vineyards had responded. And uh, I mean, we just spent a day just, like, yeah. driving around. It's, it's nice meeting people like this. We, we work with a lot of people like this who are not part of the natural wine world. They don't go to the trade shows. Yeah, these uh, folks they're basically totally they, unknown. They, they, and, you know, we come across them through books or reading or, or, or suggestions or whatever. People that have been organic for a long time who are basically just stay at home, but they're, they're, so, they're so happy and involved in, in what they're doing in their farming. And, and you see this. This is just an average guy. You know, he's not someone that's been influenced by, by Marcel Lapierre right. or that's hung out with... Uh, right. you know, the luminaries. Whatever, yes. yeah. Uh, and, but a guy that's working his ass off to, to, to create healthy soils and create better wine. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great to work with people like that. So. That was in Chavonnet in the north mm. northern Rhone. Uh, then we went down to uh, we wound up in Gigondas at uh, which a, fa- a oh, fabulous okay, estate. Yeah. Danny and Carol Chaston, uh, who have been the estate has always been organic. They they never use chemicals, so you can go back uh, to the nineteen hundred or wherever. And they've never used any chemicals in the vineyard. Before uh, they even had chemicals. This is Southern Rhone old school vinification with whole clusters. So. They don't. They don't destem. The 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 stems are ripe. They're 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 not all clones. Um, so they, uh, Grenache driven. It's, it's Grenache driven. Yeah. So, uh, they, 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 age, they age in old foodras or in concrete. I mean, which is so, what we when I first started traveling so in the Rhone. So you've got that fruit in the late eighties. I mean, no one had Barrique or New Oak. Everyone was using old foodras, and um, for me. Uh, it's Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's perfect. It makes sense. The expression of the fruit is there. You're yeah. preserving it. You're not... so much character. I know. Taste. I know. I was... That's... What, I, I keep going. So we're tasting... Uh, we tasted many vintages there, going going yeah. back quite a ways. But <laughs> 2015 is, is a terrific vintage in the Rhone Valley. I mean, people had... Both north and south. People had rain uh, during harvest, depending on when they picked. Uh, apparently, Thierry Alamond picked before any of the periods of rain, even at 13 degrees... Uh, Gonon, who we visited, who is you know one of the most respected growers in the Northern Rhone now, said, well, he didn't think the grapes were quite mature enough, so he waited, and there was some rain, but he said the grapes were so healthy that the rains didn't really bother them at all. So, But over, all in all, 2015 in the Rhone Valley is terrific. I mean, in Beaujolais, the wines were, 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 there was just too much alcohol. I think in Burgundy, a lot of people, a lot of people are complaining that the wines are, are a little hot or a little just, mm. just, just too much fruit, but mm. that's going to vary from place to place. But, you know, it's a vintage that reviewers have been very enthusiastic about sort of across the board. And, it's, you know, it's not like that. Every, every region, it's a little different. But uh, uh, in 2015 in the Loire Valley, they got rain during the Cabernet Franc harvest. So Chinon, that would have been... Out of this world is merely great. Yeah. Uh, so, mm. but but anyway, in the Rhone Valley in 2015, a lot of terrific wines, and the, and that have some freshness on top of this uh, really dense fruit and dense ripeness and good ageability. So from Gigondas, we went down to Provence. Uh, we, we got yeah. totally mixed up. We went to visit our biodynamic friends in Provence, and then who we make sensational wines. Yeah, yeah. This, this, this is another example of people that do not concern themselves with the broader sort of commercial wine world. They're not part of the hipster natural wine movement, but they make they've been biodynamic for a long time. They use they use some sulfur, but not very much. They don't really go there in terms of they don't really have a feeling yeah. about making trying to make a no sulfur wine. But they make rosés that are absolutely sensational. You know, wild yeast, great farming. I think you've had the wines before. I don't remember. I see Peter Vigon is actually selling one of their cuvées now. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, fabulous visit. Uh, They they have problems. What did you have in the store now? 
Uh, we're getting we just the 16. The 15, yeah, the 16s will be here in a month. About yeah, okay. it's not soon enough. Yeah. People are already banging on the door for rosé. <laughs> well, it was time. 80 degrees on yeah. Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're all to get winter passes. Uh, and we're and all drinking more. Provence so then we had to go all the way over to, over to Montpellier. Because, back to the other yeah, side. Yeah, and yep. then, and then, then after Montpellier, we came back to Marseille. Uh, Montpellier, then, we're, Montpellier, then we're tasting we're wine. Then we're tasting... And I stopped complaining because I used to come back from these trips and someone would say, oh, how, how was the trip or whatever? And say, oh, man, it's really... It's really, it's you know, work. it's it's work. You know, you're tasting 100 wines in a day, and the acid's just tearing away at your, your enamel. Your teeth hurt. Your body hurts. And all but people say we're not is, getting oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> you're tasting 100 wines a day, and you're <laughs> complaining. So I don't complain anymore. But, yeah, no. I've, at least we're not getting poisoned with sulfur like it used to be. So that, that's great. Yeah, you, you saved me from that. <laughs> so then... I'm uh, spoiled. I've never, <laughs> I've never even. So Minazembio is is the biggest organic trade show anywhere. It's a huge show. I think it was nine hundred. Uh, Where is it? Yeah, show? last year it was like six fifty. It was in Marseille this year, which was completely crazy because it's a difficult city anyway. And there was a soccer match between Marseille and Lyon. It's a port whole, town. It's... The whole town was going crazy. Was it Marseille Lyon? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so no one's working. Everyone's watching the TV. The bars oh, are filled. People are, yeah, we're walking out of this this tasting event. <laughs> you see roars coming out from oh, every bar. Well, the game hadn't the started. This was just pregame. <laughs> this is just people just getting wasted outside of the the wine. But this show. is a this is a great show. I mean, it's not it's not uh, all the hipster. Uh, pardon me, Zev, but all, well, actually, Zev does go to this. I think, but <laughs> all, all the hipster importers don't we go to this. Exactly. This Zev and hipster in the same sentence. Sorry, Zev. Sorry. Um, and the unicorn wine movement. But, the, and right. there's a lot of bad wine there. I mean, you can make bad organic wine. It's very easy, uh, just as easy as... But there are a lot of small producers that pay up and go to this, um, and that's the only show they go to, because mm-hmm. that's you know they can only afford to do one. Right. And uh, so we can visit, I don't know, 20 different producers that we already work with, plus, you know, there's always people there. And Evan did a fantastic job this year. And before these trips, you need to do a ton of research. You have a to have research. your shit together about... Who are you going to taste with where, what makes most sense. But Evan also, and I used to do this going back 30 years, you know, just combing the French press. Who is out there that's, that, that we should visit, you know, and why, and what are they doing? And, and Evan did a fabulous bunch of research this year. So we, at many of these shows, we found new people who, that, that, are, that are completely unknown. All right. I'm going to stop you there. Yeah, so we only have two minutes. Uh, we only have, no, it's not getting boring. Oh, but no. I want to throw this at you because this is <laughs> totally, <laughs> this, no, this is totally a segue. So speaking of Part weird one. people that nobody's ever heard of and, and strange producers, who the hell is Evan Lewandowski? This guy in Utah, oh, and this I is a connection to Ziv, so this is a totally great time. So you, you, you have this blurb that goes out, and I'm reading about this kid that's making one in Utah. I'm like, I didn't know they had grapes growing in Utah. Well, no, he's he working sources on, in California. Right. He's working on the Utah thing. He, but he works with Zev in a bar in Utah? I mean, I didn't even know Zev was from Utah. <laughs> Yeah, Zev was out there for a while. So he worked developed. in a bar. So he got the wine bug working with Zev and obviously some kind of organic unicorn wine bar in Utah, which is, I mean, you don't think of wine as the Mormons much in the same sentence, but he grows wine in California, starts the vitification, then he moves it in, in, He's in, got, in like U-Haul vans and whatever, in like tubs. To Utah, where he ages it, and he's found. I mean, none of his wines are. None of the grapes are grapes that you. It's all he's fuel got blend. Skin contact Cortese. He's got uh, Grenache Gris. Like where he's finding these vineyards, even. And I didn't. And you know. sell his wines at the store. We I usually have one or two. We have the Grenache Gris, and we have a, a red from his. The Boa. What a crazy story. Uh, yeah. Carignan. I think it's a hundred. I think it's Carignan pure, a dark and I savory. Yeah, yeah, he's cool. I, we met him. Um, he came by uh, last year to the store. What a, a funny story. A I just love to read about this kid. There's a picture of him. I'm like, I could just see like in a U-Haul truck with a big fiberglass barrel. Driving the grapes. Driving the grapes <laughs> from California. <laughs> I'm like, dude, that's such a story. Yeah. But you guys, it was a pleasure. Like, it's, it's funny. People come in here thinking an hour is going to take a long time. I'm like, we... We didn't even I mean, get back no, to the Loire Valley. No, yeah. yeah, we, we didn't get, get to the Loire Valley. Valley. Yeah. I know. You missed uh, the man Pierre Gonon. We think about Algarve Fogue and oh, damn. Yeah. And then you have the crazy guy growing that Altesse that blends the guy. What's that guy's name? I got some of his wines from you. He does a really weird blend. Oh, Maillet. Jacques Maillet. No. I think. Now, no? Who's oh, he retired. Name? He just retired. Who's his name? Who's this name? Balm's Dauphinois. Who's this guy? No, no, Gonan. Nicolas. Oh, Nicolas Gonan, yeah. Great. IGP. I never heard of this. Saint Chef. I've never heard of this region. We've got a name for you to look out for, which is Thomas Fino from the Isère, which is over there it's in the same, It's where Gonan is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Pascaline knew this guy, because Pascaline knows everything. 
Thanks so much for coming okay. in. Yeah. Yeah. Great Thanks, work. Mike. David Lilly, Evan uh, Lilly, the name of the store is Chamber, Chamber Street. Street. It's on Lines. Chamber Street, Tribeca. They ship. They do everything. They've got websites. Just don't buy the stuff that I want, okay? Just get out of, <laughs> get out of my way with the mailing list. Wait two hours. Great guys. Great okay. store. Thanks for Thanks, doing Mike. Thanks for having us, in New York City. No, pleasure. And we didn't talk about Dirty Bird, did we? No, no. But that's fine. Jesus. Wasn't next time. That's all right. Next, next cycle. Thank you. Yeah. Listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Real.